Hey, this is Jeff. So as you all recall, we are in that podcast contest for WFAE, the local NPR affiliate. We're doing okay, but we want to do even better. So if you have the chance, vote for us. Best place to find us is to go to gardens.uncc.edu. That's G-A-R-D-E-N-S dot U-N-C-C dot E-D-U. Click on over to our uh, podcast section. There you'll find where you can go to the voting location and you can vote for us. And uh, hey, makes us feel great when y'all tell us how much you like us. Have a great day and uh, on with the podcast. Welcome to season two of The Plants We Eat, a podcast from the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens that investigates the fascinating history, biology, and culture behind the plants we use for food. This is Jeff Gilman and Cindy Proctor. Together, we have over 50 years of research, teaching, and hands-in-the-dirt experience with growing plants, and over 100 years of experience eating them. (laughs) (laughs) And today... We are going to do an extra special podcast. This is for Jean and Chloe. They recommended this particular plant to us, and we're so excited to be working on it. This was a neat, neat plant to work on. The plant is... Cinnamon! Woo! (laughs) And you know, the crazy thing, working with cinnamon, is that I brought a very close relative of cinnamon in today. I see that. Did you see that? I did. So this is a camphor tree. It's within the same uh, genus that cinnamon is in is not actual cinnamon. And Cindy, you tried that crushed up leaf. What did you think? Um, I could smell something familiar, but I couldn't put my finger on it, just right. like some of the other folks that tried it too. You know, just couldn't put their finger on it. Exactly. It's not, it's not cinnamon. It doesn't have quite the same compounds, but it's similar. Um, and you can kind of harvest it the same way, although the bark doesn't have that same smell. We'll talk about that in, in a couple of minutes. But Cindy, I'd like to know right off the bat, what do you like your cinnamon with? Well, the funny thing is we never thought to talk about cinnamon until we had the suggestion, and it's used in every food that we eat almost. Really? I mean, mean, like, what isn't it used in (laughs) is is really the question. You know, I started thinking about what I like cinnamon in, and I started off by thinking, well, I love cinnamon sprinkled on top of my latte, my my coffee. I I like— French toast. Yeah, I love it on French toast. Pumpkin pie. I used to eat cinnamon toast. Yes. But you know one of my favorite, two of my favorite things to use cinnamon on? We normally think of cinnamon as something that goes with sweet, but there are two things that I really love cinnamon in that aren't sweet. Uh, The first, have you had uh, Cincinnati-style chili? No. Cincinnati-style chili has a relatively high concentration of cinnamon, at least enough that you can taste it, and it's really good. Okay. Then the second thing that I like cinnamon in is uh, there are various curries out there. I'm a big curry lover in almost all of its manifestations. And there are a number that have cinnamon, and I do like uh, cinnamon in my curry. Cinnamon I've had in my ravioli before. You've had it in ravioli? Yes, it was actually like a, not a tomato-based ravioli, but a a white sauce uh, with pumpkin filling. So that makes sense, but it had a savory taste. That sounds really good. It is. So cinnamon is really, I can use, I mean, I was making uh, something last night that I used cinnamon in. Well, it's an old spice. It's been around yeah. for at least uh, 2,800 years. It has medicinal BC. values that are well documented. It's still I'm not sure if they're true, but you know, there's not. It's not a lot of folklore in terms of people hearing about it. It's it's the, the market is saturated with that information. So. Right, Jean and Chloe. This one was fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's so let's start off with some of the basics. First of all, cinnamon is in a genus or a group of plants that includes about 250 relatives. So actually, a huge number of plants uh, related to cinnamon. 
Of these 250 plants, about five can be used for what we call cinnamon. The two most common are Ceylon cinnamon, which is also known as Sri Lankan cinnamon. Uh, that's usually known as true cinnamon. And then there's also Chinese cinnamon, which is really the most common type. And it's actually better described as cassia. So when you're getting cinnamon at the store, mostly what you're getting is cassia. Now, one of the interesting things about this cassia plant, this cassia plant produces not only bark, and we should have talked about that first, but it produces not only bark, but you can also purchase cassia buds. And these buds are actually flower buds that are about to open. And they're supposed to have a really amazing taste that I've never had. Have you ever had the cassia buds? No, cassia? I haven't. In fact, I didn't really understand that those were available. I'm, I have to Well, admit. they're not commonly available, but you can, I, I went looking for them and you can purchase them, you know, through Amazon or whatever. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but but they're not widely available, just like you were saying, but because the plant doesn't produce them as heavily as, or they're bumper crops every year is from what I understand. Did you find that too? That they're not common? I yeah. Th- I actually found them to be okay. reasonably common. I see. Okay. Um, but there's just not the demand for them. Where they're used it mostly, because, you know, once I found them, I wanted to find where they were used, is in uh, German pickling. Oh. So... That's yeah, it's, it's kind of a German okay. thing to that, that you'd pickle using this, this cassia bud. All right, so usually the cinnamon that you buy in the store, you've probably seen it all curled up on itself. And when you see it curled up like that, that is actually the inner bark. So today I brought some camphor with me. This camphor is a, another species of cinnamon. Again, it can be processed in the same way, although the bark doesn't have the same fragrance. So I don't know why you would do that. And I was actually going to see how this worked. You can maybe hear what I'm doing here. What I just did was took a knife and peeled away the outer layer of bark. This outer layer of bark doesn't actually have much of the essential oil compounds in it that give it that nice flavor. After you peel away this outer bark, what you do is you actually roll away the inner bark. You actually cut this vertical slit down the stem And then after you make that vertical slit down the stem, you actually roll the inner bark, because you only have the inner bark left, you actually roll the inner bark away from the wood, and that inner bark then has that smell and that flavor. You then allow that to dry, and by the way, while it's drying, it curls up, and when it curls up, what you're left with is a quill. It's known as a quill. I think of it as a scroll. It looks like a scroll. Yes. It actually, now that you say it, it looks much more like a scroll than a quill. Yes. Um, but you buy these quills, and then for the really good cinnamon, you don't you know, get it pre-ground. You do the grating yourself. So you know there's a special cinnamon grater. Tell me about it. Okay, so it's not your typical, like, zester-looking thing that's okay. very long and narrow that you can find in the store. Mm-hmm. You might have to order this online. You can uh, search for cinnamon grater. Okay. And it looks like a shoehorn and that the grating part is so fine. When you see it, you'll understand that that's a better use because a zester would almost disintegrate the scroll, if you Mm -hmm. will. But the cinnamon grater has a more finer approach to getting the cinnamon off. Right. You wonder how long ago they actually started grating this stuff and whether they started using this, they being the people who first discovered this, or they just started by chewing on the stems. You know, at what point they stopped chewing on the stems and started actually grating it and putting it over food. Have you chewed on a stem of cinnamon? No, but I've chewed on these stems. Okay, but a cinnamon... A cinnamon <laughs> because that's what I do. <laughs> a cinnamon stem, I mean, not the actual stem from the tree, but what's mm-hmm. been harvested from the tree and dried right. is really potent. Like, it's, it's almost... Uh, it, it's 
It's too spicy. Have you actually done that? Yes. Wow, I've yeah. never done that. Yeah, it's really okay. spicy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> spicy. Spicy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now that we've been talking about history, though, let me let me back up a little bit because cinnamon does have a really interesting history, particularly the true cinnamon, the Ceylon cinnamon. It was um, originally from Sri Lanka, and we have records of cinnamon being used in Egypt from you know, years and years ago. Uh, obviously, pyramids and such. And cinnamon was used for preserving bodies. It was considered one of the you know, primary spices used to preserve the body. It does have antimicrobial properties to, to help this happen. Now, for Western culture, for Europe, cinnamon has been known for a long, long, long time, but they had to purchase it through traders in the Middle East. The Europeans didn't actually start taking control of their own supply of cinnamon, so to speak, until the Portuguese uh, landed in Sri Lanka in the early 1500s. And they discovered, you know, the true cinnamon, the Ceylon cinnamon, and they basically took over uh, that island and took over people there. And it was, a, it was a pretty bad scene. I mean, let's face it, when Europeans take over an area in that period of time, they, they weren't very forgiving. And they did it for economic reasons. It's true in the Americas and certainly true uh, everywhere else where they could take over, they did take over. The Dutch took over that production from the Portuguese, and then later on, the English took it over. But you know the interesting thing to me? Uh, we talked about how these spices spread. Well, the same thing happened with cinnamon, and pretty soon, in the early 1800s, the cinnamon monopoly was broken because basically, they discovered that they could grow cinnamon elsewhere, including, you know, we keep coming back to this island of Reunion. The island of Reunion for the French was just such a spice paradise. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they grew everything there, and cinnamon grew just fine there. So you know what? The French didn't have to go through the Portuguese or the Dutch or the English. They just grew whatever on the island of Reunion. And by the way, there's some really, really interesting history there if you want to go deeply, deeply into it. So coming back to the two types of cinnamon, true cinnamon versus this Chinese cinnamon or cassia, this cassia, which we commonly buy, Really interesting when you read through the papers on the uh, things in cassia. And by the things in cassia, I mean that the essential oil is made up of more than just the cinnamon flavor. It also includes other compounds, and these other compounds can be significant. One of the interesting ones is coumarin. Are you very familiar with yes. coumarin? Yeah. yeah, it's a blood center, isn't it? Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. I was very interested to find this. In fact, I was interested to find that some people recommend that you try and avoid this cinnamon from the cassia plant, because if you take that cinnamon, you'll increase your coumarin and potentially create a problem. Hmm. And of course, once I read that there was a potential poison in it, I had to look everywhere I could. <laughs> I could find I could find literally nothing. That's up your alley. Right, exactly. <laughs> I could find literally nothing about um, it being particularly toxic beyond the fact that, yes, this compound is present, but it simply doesn't seem to be present in a high enough concentration to really cause any serious problems. So I, I didn't worry about it too much. I was, really hoping, I was really hoping to find a fascinating story there, but I didn't find the fascinating story besides the fact that, yes, this blood thinner is in this plant. So the three tablespoons, you know, I put in my smoothie. I'm not going to No, you're I, not going to be sick. Okay. No, no, no. And I do want to note that while cassia has this, the true cinnamon does not have this. So that's kind of interesting. Now, here's the other thing that I don't know how familiar you are with cinnamaldehyde, cinnamaldehyde being the primary compound in cinnamon responsible for the cinnamon flavor. Okay, well, are you familiar with cinnamite? No. 
So my PhD is in horticulture, but my master's degree is in entomology. And as you all know, I'm just fascinated by insecticides and (laughs) poisons in general. (laughs) And cinnamite is a insecticide, and it kills mites, as you would expect, as well as killing many other insects. Uh, And cinnamite, its primary ingredient is cinnamaldehyde. So cinnamon actually has that insecticidal compound in it, which shouldn't be surprising to anybody. Most of these compounds that plants make, they make them for a reason, which is to protect themselves. Anyway, just to let you know what cinnamaldehyde does, because that's always interesting to know, it's a contact insecticide, which means that it will affect an insect just by the insect touching it. The insect doesn't have to eat it. And uh, in terms of its mode of action, in other words, what it does to kill the insect, they don't know exactly, except that it seems to affect... um, energy uptake and utilization. And what does that mean? It means that it affects the insect's uptake and ability to utilize glucose. And that's about as much as they know. So the insect can't utilize glucose, which again is the insect's source of energy. If the insect can't utilize glucose properly, then obviously it's going to be toxic. Um, Cinnamite is not a common insecticide, but it is reported to be pretty effective. It is not one that I have uh, extensive experience with. We used to have it in the pesticide shed, and we just had other things that we went to first. I, I have to, I have to tell you. So, can can we get can we get to the uh, to the medicines now? Yeah, a little bit. So, all right. So, I started uh, looking through patents. Don't don't tell me what gave me that idea. But I said cinnamon is this is this weird compound. And you know what? I'll bet that there are, I bet that there are some interesting patents for cinnamon, and I was not disappointed. Um. I want to talk about the medicine in a minute, but first I want to tell you about what I thought was the most interesting cinnamon patent. Uh, this guy named Will E. Turner. That's not Willie Turner. Will <laughs> E. Turner. In 1873, patented a concoction that sat at the base of a pipe bowl. And when I say pipe, I mean like the type of pipe you smoke. And this cinnamon at the base of the pipe bowl, along with a couple of other compounds, <laughs> was supposed to take the nicotine out of the smoked tobacco, as well as deodorizing the pipe smell. So, okay. (laughs) I wanted to say, a former smoker, what's the point? I know. So for the smoker, it's like it takes out the the drug that they're looking for, uh, as well as taking out the smoke, which my favorite part of, you know, I'm a little bit older, and... um, I'm certainly familiar with people smoking, and I I have to be honest, and this is not something I'm proud of, but I I like the smell of smoke. It takes me back to years ago. Yuck. Anyway, uh, if you're deodorizing, it it takes the pleasure out of that, and certainly the nicotine is the drug that people want, so it takes that out. So I don't understand the purpose of this this neutralizing. But he had a patent on it. But he had a patent on it. I could not find any record of it actually having been used. But what an interesting patent. Uh, He actually had diagrams. It actually showed the pipe, and the pipe looked normal, except in the base of the bowl of the pipe, that's the part where you put the tobacco, there's like this filter. And below this filter, like a metal filter, and below this metal filter, you'd have this concoction, which included cinnamon, so that as you inhaled, the smoke would actually be forced through this concoction. So anyway, there you go. Now, the other uses that I found patented, most of them, there are bitters recipes. If you know bitters, it's a compound that you use in, um, in alcoholic drinks. But it was also used to cure cholera. There were so many patented medicines which were supposed to either cure or help to treat cholera. Now, I started to look up 
some case studies of using cinnamon with cholera. And actually, there were a decent number, mostly anecdotal, not real solid research. But in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there are a number of anecdotal reports of cinnamon actually working reasonably well for cholera. So I thought that was very interesting. What kind of stuff did you find? Well, so I didn't look up any patents <laughs> but uh, or anything like that. But along with a lot of these other spices and mm -hmm. even fruits and some vegetables, it's touted uh, cinnamon as being a great antioxidant. And that, that alone has a lot of free radical properties in right. it for your body and can help ward off disease, including cardiac disease and macular degeneration, even cancer. Now, those aren't well documented, but they've, they've been said to be the case. You know, it has uh, calcium and iron and mineral manganese, mm -hmm. which these, of course, are essential nutrients for good health. But what has been well documented, though, is it is an anti-clotting, which, uh, of course, would make sense along with what you said. I wonder if it would just be the, um, the cassia, which was the anti-clotting, or if it would be the, for some other reason besides the coumarin, the, the true cinnamon also. Well, see, that's where uh, all of this kind of muddies the water, you know, when it's not well regulated. Who knows what you're getting when you yeah. take that pill, <laughs> you well, know, where, where it came from. Um, but nonetheless, I think both of them, because I see this across the board a good bit, is that it, it does help control blood sugar levels, and it is sold widespread. I saw that for diabetics. Yes, for, for diabetics, diabetics it seems to be useful, and for people who tend to run a high blood sugar, even though they're they're managing their diets. You know, there's been research that high blood sugar has been associated with Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So they're saying that cinnamon would help with Alzheimer's disease formation and can work as an antibiotic. So based on some of the things that you've said, I kind of can see that. It's, now, I'm not going to take it for an ear infection, but no. hey, you know, if I'm sick, I might. Which goes on to my next point is uh, if you're a cinnamon freak... Mm -hmm. and love the taste of your cinnamon, going to the mass merchant may not be your best bet. You may have to order it. And so how do you get your hands on fresh cinnamon? Well, we all go to Google <laughs> <laughs> and type in cinnamon fresh, and uh, there you go. But I did find a great source called Cinnamon Hill. Okay. And what's great about that is the best cinnamon that's not only in taste, but in nutritional value and help you with some of these ailments that I mentioned is to get it fresh. And you want to have a date on when it was harvested. And cinnamon has been harvested in the summer. Easier in the spring, because imagine it would be easier to remove the bark and that inner part just slips right off in the spring when it's very vibrant and growing and, and try to regenerate for the growing season. So, um, yeah, you need to look at your dates. And Sri Lanka is the best source. Is and the, that's the, that's, the original source. That, yes, and that's the original. But that's the best source. That's where they're well, getting the harvest, it from. The harvest of cinnamon is really cool also. Have you seen it? I actually looked it up. Okay. Yeah. I did too. And it looks uh, easy <laughs> to, well, the, to the professional, but I bet you it has its challenges. For most cinnamon, what they do is they actually cut the tree at the base this is actually a forestry technique called coppicing. Mm -hmm. It's typical for a lot of different plants, actually. It's not unique to cinnamon. But when you cut the tree at its base, you then section it off into, well, I mean, this is a tree. This is a tree. And that's sometimes forgotten in all this. 
when you cut it off at the base, what happens is that you force a whole lot of smaller stems to come off of where you cut. Mm -hmm. And then over time, as these grow larger, you cut all those off and harvest those and peel the bark off of those. And this then inspires even more new shoots to grow out near the base. Well, because it does take two years for the cinnamon to mature enough or you should wait two yes, years before yes. you harvest it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, because once you top it is what, you know, right. it's basically what you're doing or topping right. it to the ground. Right. Is that you're forcing it to have multi-shoots and then that's more shoots for you. Right, because every time you cut off a shoot and uh, take that inner bark from it, you have something new. So there are different ways to harvest. Of course, you could have a large field to harvest. Also, there are a number of recreational harvesters who just have a few trees in their backyard and it's just some extra money for them. So why don't you... Um, you can have a harvest almost every year yes. if you stagger your pruning efforts. Right, exactly. And why not? And some people seem to be doing that. So um, the 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 scroll is what you need Quill. to. The, I like to call it a scroll. Quill. I get the visual quill. Okay, quill. <laughs> and uh, it's just right underneath that bark. Yeah, and you can take it out and just let it dry for a few days and store it in an airtight yeah. uh, container. Yeah. So. This is not going to grow well uh, where we are here mm -mm. Uh, in in North Carolina, but there are places in the United States where this tree uh, can be grown. All right. Well, I think that uh, wraps this one up. Yep. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Chloe, for such a great suggestion. I it, think you and I both mm -hmm. had fun on this we, one. We did have a lot yeah. of fun on this one. Now, for next week, we have a special episode, a little bit different than what we've been doing in the past. We really haven't talked much about forages you know, things that people uh, go out there and just collect and eat. And there are actually a lot of foods that are foraged. And we had somebody write to us, Kristen, gonna mess up this last name, but it looks like um, Boucher. Uh, Kristen Boucher gave us an email and said, you know, I just read about cattails. And so I've heard of a lot of forage foods. I mean, being in the business I'm in, I, I hear about a lot of these weird forage foods. And certainly I know cattails, but I had not heard of cattails being eaten, which really- Beautiful plant. It is a And a little invasive. Uh, yes. So I'd love to know uh, how we can eat them. Exactly. So, you know, I did enough looking up, not much yet, to find out a little bit about it. And yeah, this is a pretty popular forage crop. So I can't wait. Next week, we're going to be talking about, uh, going to dig into cattails. Great. Look forward to it. Sounds like fun. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Plants We Eat. This has been a production of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Garden in cooperation with the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at UNC Charlotte with the help of the Isle Group. Thanks, and we will talk to you next week.